reports providing fact, not fiction, on issues facing America, whether internationally or domestically. And we're providing the fact, not fiction. We don't tell you how to think. We just provide the facts. So how's it going, Joe? And also, we also have someone else in the in the studio with us, and a well, gentleman named Ray. How's I'll bring it? him on. But hey, right. hey, John, what's going on? I'm doing good. What are you up to? I'm great. So this is my cousin, Ray. And I think he will have a lot of insight for the show when it comes to like his age range because we're kind of dealing with like three age ranges. You're kind of like me, shut up, <clears throat> and above. I'm in the 40s and up, and he's probably in the 20, 30 range. Yeah, and I'm in the 50, 60 range. So, but, mm. so I think that you know, kind of us kind of coming in together. But you know, so what's going on, Ray? Oh, nothing much. Just had an eventful evening. Fixing firearms, what I do. Yep. So, okay, so a little bit about yourself going maybe not too far back, but a little bit, but you are a Marine. Yes, I am. Okay, when did you go in? I went in in 2013 and went through boot camp, struggled with pneumonia, and got to... Well, people don't need to know that. You're a Marine because you went through boot camp, you got the Eagle Globe and Anchor, you're good to go. Whether your stent was a year or... 10 is Marines a Marine, and you're not a POS. <laughs> got, so. got to MCT, and unfortunately, I was uh, met with some results that I didn't want, and unfortunately, that ended my Marine Corps career. And I moved on, and very quickly, I found something that I love to do was working with firearms. Yeah, and he's good at it. I mean, I would think firearms is his passion, yeah, I mean, especially, especially like to the point where he's like the gun cleaning fairy, where I'll just leave my guns out on the doorstep at night, and by, <laughs> magically they're clean the next morning. There you go. <laughs> so, and you, are, do you have a business yet, Yeah, LLC, or are you just kind of doing side work? I'm kind of just doing side work for right now, um, looking at some possible government-type jobs that can help me get paid. And then I do want to get my range and shop going, maybe a little bit down the line. Yeah. So, and like we've had admiration, admiration, admiration. We've had admirations about making our own range. Well, that's more like his idea. I'm kind of like the sure. I'll try to support you whatever I can. But this year, this this past this current administration is not really a great idea to do that, is it? Well, no, I would disagree. I think now is the a good time to do it because. Yesterday, I went with a friend, and he bought himself a, um, a firearm, and he traded in one, got another one, and I was talking with him, and he said more people are coming in, especially first-time gun owners mm-hmm. are coming in, and I asked him, and he says it was not just because of President Biden and his anti-gun policies, just like it wasn't just President Obama and their anti-gun policies, but now we're seeing the defund the police movement. You're seeing crime is rampant in many urban metropolises. And you're seeing criminals being let go by very rogue uh, prosecutors. So I think, and people who are, and he told me this, people who are first-time gun owners are surprised they got to do background checks. Yeah. They can't just come in, pay it, and walk out the door. They got to go through a process. And he says, well. We all know that. Yeah, I know. We all know that. But if you're not paying attention, and he said, well, you're the guys that voted for these individuals in. So. Yeah. It may not be good on one aspect, but it's good on another aspect. So, yeah, I mean, I think it was a little bit. I just I mean the way the the way that it's been going, and I think it's almost like this administration is going as bad as it it was kind of perceived by, say, the right. 
Well, the, the thing is, I've, I work at a local restaurant, and there was a gentleman there who um, said he would never vote for Joe Biden. He didn't think it would be this bad. He didn't think he would be like this. And I told him, I go, I did. And he goes, well, how? Well, if you look at his background, President Biden is the first president in American history who had more than 15 consecutive years as an elected official. Mm -hmm. So he spent his time, he first got elected to the Senate in 1972, inaugurated in, um, or sworn in as, as a senator in January of 1973. Then he became President Biden's vice president in January 2009. So he had almost 35, 40 years as a senator. And as a senator, you give speeches, you try to pass legislation, you get legislation passed. But Joe Biden was one of those that changed with the political winds. If the winds, like an example, he voted against the first Gulf War. Then he comes back and votes for the, for the war in Iraq. Mm -hmm. Then he's against the surge. He supported the war in Afghanistan when it was popular to do so. And then when it became unpopular, he changed his tune. So he's been all over the place on this stuff. Like he was tough on crime. He helped pass the crime bill. And now he wants to be defund the police. Even though he says he doesn't defund the police, he was interviewed on a progressive talk show. And, he's, and the person asked him, do you believe in defunding or re remove, shifting resources around? He goes, yes, I can support that. So defund may not be the the the, the, the moniker he uses, yeah. but re, but real allocating resources away from police is essentially defunding the police. So how many weeks do you think we are away from kind of like Ukraine Russia being on like the back burner and America kind of looking at something else? Because it um, seems like it's happening right now no. between Ukraine and the gas prices and stuff like that. So uh, a good question I think I have is when it comes to between Ukraine and Russia. Are we kind of rooting for a lesser of two evil situation here? Is there just as much corruption as in Ukraine as there are, is in Russia? And we're just kind of like, well, we don't like Russia, so we he can't do no, that. I, Russia's corrupt. Russia has an but authority. Is, okay. But is Ukraine you're corrupt? Correct. Okay. Ukraine is corrupt. They're starting to make changes to their their democracy. Now, you got to remember, democracy doesn't just start overnight. Now, if you take our country, when we got the con the Constitution was founded, signed, George Washington was elected president, there was still sectionalism. You had those from the South, those from the West, those from the Northeast. Mm -hmm. And it took a civil war to bind America together as one nation instead of looking at each other as a Southerner, a Northeasterner, or a Westerner. Mm -hmm. We had our own corruption problems, maybe not to the degree as you see in Russia or something in Ukraine, but there, it takes time for democracies to establish itself. And Ukraine established itself in the mid-90s. It's still a fledgling democracy. Mm -hmm. They're not perfect. I'm not saying that we should um, not look at their corruption, but we can help them along. Now, remember, Joe Biden's son, Hunter, was involved in some with Burisma okay. with some issues. And Joe Biden did say when he was vice president, you need to fire that prosecutor looking into the corruption of his son. Otherwise, you're not getting any money. Okay, let's go with that just for a second. And this is just kind of highly speculation. But are there a lot of, say, top 
Congress officials or senators or even upper cabinet members whose children have worked with or for Ukrainian government that, or companies. Is that like here's that I hearsay? Do know, I do know Joe Biden was involved in that. Okay. I so, know there were others. I would have to go do the research to find out who were others. Now, I know I mentioned this guy's name a lot. Jonathan Turley, a constitutional scholar from George Washington University. And Ray, you're going to hear that name a lot. Okay. Uh, who was out there? Victor David Hansen okay, is, an, is one. Okay, but, but going back to Turley, Turley said it's not illegal for family members to benefit off their family. Yeah. Like, like Joe Biden's son, Hunter, benefited from his father's position. But what Turley said, he called it legal corruption. Members of Congress, cabinets, and officials, they're barred from benefiting from their office, but their children and family are not. Mm-hmm. So that's why they call it legal corruption. That's just like recently when Nancy Pelosi was asked, are you going to ban any kind of um, insider trading or, stock, or members doing st- buying stock while they're sitting in Congress? And she said, well, that's part of the free ca- capitalistic system. Uh-huh. And... The, what the, the, the background was is members of Congress are privy to information like when Microsoft signed a deal with the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. Nancy Pelosi knew about that. And just ironically, her husband bought stock in Microsoft. So she wasn't uh, didn't want to ban it, but then she was forced to. So there may be they're trying to do past legislation to expand it to include all members of Congress and their families. So we'll see how, how that goes. Uh, so my uh, idea of maybe understanding is that maybe maybe they want us to root for Ukraine because we want support with Ukraine. And this the reason is that maybe a lot of the U.S. Um, Congress people and senators and all these bills and aids and relief – they're kind of siphoning it through Ukraine, and they're kind of taking their little share out of it. So they're almost like looking at Ukraine as like a money money laundering kind of I mean, operation. That's, that's deeper. It's very deep what you go into. I don't have the proof to say that's happening. I mean, it's still some research that we have to do. But Ukraine is a democracy, or at least a fledgling democracy. Russia is an authoritative state. So the whole question is, do we want authoritative states like Russia to invade a sovereign country because it feels that Ukraine belongs to them? That has ramifications in the east mm-hmm. where China looks at Taiwan as that sovereign Chinese territory. So if we allow Russia to get away with this, we're going to allow China to go in and take Taiwan. Okay. So that's not the way we do things, and that's not the way we should do things. So. Are they maybe blowing some stuff uh, up out of, out of proportion when it comes to Ukraine versus Russia? What do you mean? Like the ghost of Kiev. Or well, the maybe they're just trying to are, are they propagandizing the what the Ukrainians doing to kind of just kind of bolster some support? No, Ukraine is fighting back and I think Russia and a lot of people in the West, but mainly Russia, will just start with them. I don't think they were expecting the resistance that they're getting now. Mm-hmm. Now, in war, propaganda plays on both sides. Yeah. If you go back to World War II, propaganda played a huge part on both sides. Disinformation. There was even the greatest disinformation was 
the battle, the the, the D Day landings. Mm-hmm. We told we had a fictitious army headed by George Patton, right out from the close to the port of Calais, Wait. over by that was the shortest point between England and uh, Calais, which is in France. And they had a fictitious army saying that this was they had fictitious traffic. They had tanks that were like balloons or dummy tanks, dummy trucks to make it sound like this is what was going to happen. See, there's a little folklore I heard it behind the D-Day was that the reason why it went off without a hitch or it went so successful because Hitler slept in. Well, partly is he was he was asleep. But the other problem is you have to go to the nature of how the command structure was for the German army at that time. Okay. There was no really, I mean, General Erwin Rommel of the Africa Corps was the overall commander, but he only had certain powers. He couldn't move the Panzer Division, which was at the Port of Calais, over to Normandy. There was, it was almost like a Byzantine chaotic command structure. Okay. It wasn't clean like it was for the Allies. It was General Eisenhower. His deputy was General Bernard Montgomery, okay. and it was clean. The Germans didn't have that. Now, going back to what's going on in Ukraine versus Russia, one of the things is also maybe speculate. Okay, if Trump was still president, one of his ideas was to pull the U.S. out of NATO, and then that would have been Russia's time to come in and get Ukraine. So they're just saying like the the situation still would have been the same whether Trump or Biden would have been in office. However, I don't think they're thinking is if we are like sovereign or we're not attached to anything, we can do whatever the we can do whatever the hell we want. Well, the thing is, Trump never stated that he was going to pull the U.S. out of NATO. Okay, that's just with Democrats and progressives and anybody who hated Trump, like the never the never the never Trump Republicans. Yeah. All he said was NATO, you need to do your fair share. Mm-hmm. Because like in 2000, I think it was 2018, he was at a meeting in Europe and he was like saying Germany, as an example, Germany is the largest country in Europe, you know, for at least part of the EU and part of NATO. Yeah. It's the wealthiest country. But Germany doesn't pay its fair share of its percentage for defense. They weren't going to do so until 2032. No, and this administration comes in and they're like, okay, hey, but, you're, you're good. You're good. Okay, you don't hold have to worry on. about it. So they weren't going to pay their fair share. And what Trump was saying, let me get this straight. You don't want to pay your fair share for defense. You want us to protect you from Russia because that's who you believe is your greatest threat. But yet you sign billions of dollars worth of energy contracts with Russia. And then the former chancellor, Gerard Schroeder, he is now on the board of directors of Gazprom, which is a Russian energy company. So Trump was just taking a business approach. Let me get this straight. You don't want to spend on defense. You want us to do that. Mm-hmm. But then you sign lucrative deals with the enemy of your country, with Russia, and we're supposed to be fine with that. And he wanted to sell, tell them, we could sell you all the liquefied natural gas that you want. Yeah. Now, come to the situation where we are now, they did a total 180. Mm-hmm. They said, we'll definitely pay two, over 2%. We are definitely going to arm, help arm the Ukrainians. And we're going to end the Nord Stream 2. This is a pipeline that went from Russia to Germany through the Baltic Sea. This is a pipeline that Trump sanctioned. And now President Biden, one of his first official acts, is to allow it to go through. Yeah. So I think people need to do two things when it comes to Trump. 
they need to separate rhetoric from policy. Mm -hmm. Like the other thing that no one's really talking about, and I listened to an interview with, I got the book, so I want to read it, is William Barr, his attorney general. Now, the, the book is, I can't remember the title of the book, but it was something about his time in as attorney general. Okay. And there's, if you hated Trump, you're not going to like this book. Mm -hmm. If you love Trump, you're not going to like this book. Mm -hmm. And the reason is he believes Trump was spied upon. And he said one of the, the, the catastrophes that happened in 2016 is the, the media and the Democratic Party and those who spied weaponized this, that allegation of spy, that Trump was a tool of Russia. If you can go back and look what was said by the media, look what was said by the elected, former elected officials in the Obama administration, that Trump, that they believe he was a tool of Russia. You had Clapper, you had Brennan, you had Jake Sullivan, who's now the National Security Advisor, said, yeah, I believe. You had Adam Schiff, who's now the House Intelligence um, Committee Chair, mm -hmm. all said Trump was a tool of Russia. There's no evidence to support that. Yeah. But that, what as Barr said, that hampered what Trump could do with Russia. He couldn't negotiate with them. He couldn't deal with them. He couldn't even meet with them. He met with Putin in Helsinki, and the Democrats said, oh, he's given away the store. There was no evidence to support yeah. that. The second part that people who love Donald Trump will hate this is Bill Barr believes Trump was ill-served by his attorneys, and he acted like a child after the 2016 election. I mean, excuse me, 2020 election didn't go his way. I did want to talk about that a little now, bit, though. Okay. I've said I don't know what Trump had in his lawsuits after the 2020 election. I think that his attorneys ill-served him. As soon as states like California, New York, New Jersey started to change the election laws midstream. Mm -hmm. They were making rule changes every day, every week, every month. This was done by judges. This was done by gubernator uh, gubernatorial leaders like California, Gavin Newsom. You had Mario, I mean, Andrew Cuomo in New York. You can't change the election law midstream. Yeah. A lot of Trump's attorneys said, no, you can't do You can sue only afterwards. It's the best time to do it. That, they were wrong. Yeah. They should have sued... Because that has to be done through the legislative process. Yeah. Just because we're in a pandemic, like I think it was um, Neil Gorsuch said, the, pan the uh, Constitution doesn't go in a drawer just because you're in a pandemic. Yeah. That's the mis mistake. And I do be he believed that Trump acted like a child, like he's attacking people that went against him. I just think he was ill-serving. That's what Bill Barr said. I kind of agree with that. Like when the election didn't go his way and we kind of gave it like three or four days to kind of like figure it out. And he was just kind of like in a corner, all like huffy puffy. I mean, I kind of understand his plight, but, you know, and he might have been onto something, but it definitely looked like, you know, I don't think part of it was like, why is this happening? Another pair, another question was, we're going to get this and we don't, we're not going to like now, it. Now, the one thing that I didn't even think about, he met, this was on Brett Baer's special report on Fox News. He asked him about the Durham report. The reason why the Durham report was in, when Will Barr took over as attorney general, he brought all his investigators in who were investigating all the different cases, and it came to the Russian collusion thing. Mm -hmm. So we started asking questions, and the answers he received didn't make sense. Yeah. So we asked more questions, and they still didn't make sense. So then he instituted the Durham report. 
And the reason we didn't get an answer, I didn't even think about this, but the reason we didn't get an answer, which many wanted before the election, is because the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. In December of 2019, when it's kind of got going and, and it really hit in the first month or two of this, um, 2020, all grand juries were stopped. So if you're going to have someone come in, nobody's going to willingly and voluntarily come in for a grand jury testimony. Mm-hmm. So they had to wait. That's why it was pushed past the election. Might have been different if it was if it wasn't for the coronavirus. All right, let's talk about a little bit something in regards what's what's Wisconsin doing with its because uh, they recount. I guess they did something with the election or with the the with the, the, the poll, and they said they're they're kind of I guess recanting there. What's it called? They, before uh, I can't. I mean, I know what you're going with. Have you heard of it? I've no. heard of it, okay, but okay. before I really comment on it, I'd have to go back and do a little bit more research to see what yeah, was that. You had an entire day off, and oh, that, did, that didn't even come up. Yeah, it didn't is even that, come is up. that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. So I would have to go back and look and get a little bit more. Because election laws are very complicated, uh-huh. and very each state runs it their way. That's like when they had, when Trump's, um, excuse me, when Texas sued other states, the Supreme Court said, you can't, you have no standing because you can't determine what other states have. That's like yeah. when the Democrats are trying to pass their voter rights out bill. They're trying to nationalize voting rights. Well, the Supreme the uh, Constitution is explicit in Article 2 of the Constitution explicitly states that all election laws are reserved to the individual states. Each state can write and pass its own election laws of how you vote at a national level. So I want to look back maybe to the State of the Union just real briefly. Yeah, okay. And because this kind of kind of came up and this has been all over social media, TikTok and everything like that. There was a congressperson, congresswoman, two of them. One was from Georgia, the other one from, I think, New Mexico or Arizona. She was the one that was like when... The president was talking about oh, the burn okay. pits. Do you know who what her name is? No, no. I think she was talking about when he was mentioning Afghanistan. Yep. And about a flag draped coffin, and then and he and she said something about the thirteen Americans who were killed. How? What is your feeling about that? Was that something she should have done? Maybe not. I mean, is it, it, was it uncouth? Was it out of so out typically, of? Typically, when you're in the State of the Union address, you don't heckle a president. So but, I, but isn't that kind of changed since Trump kind of stepped well, in a office? Lot of, a lot of things have changed since Trump. Yeah. I mean, a lot <laughs> of things have changed. But I just think there should be a little bit more decorum on both sides of the aisle. I just, agree. Yeah. Just like when President Trump was speaking, Nancy Pelosi broke a very taboo decorum when she publicly ripped up his speech. Yeah. Now, whether that's a copy or not, but she ripped it up. Because like, it was so great. Is that well, why she ripped it up? <laughs> she thought this was the worst speech ever. No. But, I mean, whatever the reasons, we got to get back to decorum. Okay. And we got to quit. And Barr says this. Other people have said this. We've got to quit looking at each side as the enemy. Uh-huh. And what was, okay, one well, little thing. She was kind of doing some weird thing with her hands. She was, like, standing up talking about. That we don't know. <laughs> they like, were talking about the burn pit. She's kind of standing up, smiling, rubbing her hands. I don't have a clue what she's doing with uh, her. It, it, Nancy Pelosi's on her own planet sometimes. But do you still think, I mean, because I think we said about this ever since, but someone else is running this country, right? That's the speculation because 
many times Joe Biden gets up there and he says, well, this is who they told me to call on. This is who they they told me I'm going to get in trouble if I take questions from the media. So now let's kind of go on our main topic or a bigger topic. And I think we're all impacted by this, no matter Ooh, yes. what our income Come level on. is. But it's it's gas. Oh, yeah. Gas is. Gas is OK. When it comes to like inflation goes up now, it's interesting tomorrow. I mean, this is um, March 9th. Tomorrow is March 10th. Uh, the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, comes out, and it'll f- reflect on what inflation was for the month of February and then what was inflation between February 2021 and February 2022. And it's not going to be good. No. I think it's going to be 75 or higher. Are, can they skew these numbers, or is this kind of like independent? No, this is uh, – they could skew anything, but this is usually – legitimate and the reason i say it could be higher now food prices and energy prices or at least gas prices are not tied into inflation and the reason is they're too volatile yeah but almost every sector relies on fuel mm-hmm. energy like i work at a restaurant the um, i talked to the general manager of the restaurant and his um, energy prices have skyrocketed from a year ago and from two years ago. So that's going to impact inflation. He's having labor, high labor costs. That's going to impact inflation. Because, mm-hmm. And what I mean, salaries are come up, not because workers are, I mean, uh, are being better, not because owners or the bosses want to give more money. Mm-hmm. Is there, it's being artificially inflated. I got to retain this, so I got to give them more money. People, companies will, will pay a decent wage to good workers. But when you artificially inflate something, it it raises inflation. And then you've got the government and its prolific spending. But for right now, and you're right, everybody's impacted by high high gas prices. Just a week ago, it was I live in Tampa. It was three forty nine it was three forty nine a gallon. Then I turned around, it became three ninety nine. Very very day, three ninety nine. Yeah. Then over the weekend it went up to four nineteen, um, then it went up to four forty nine. I noticed today it dropped by ten cents to four forty nine. Mm-hmm. Many states, well, especially like in California, because I got a brother that lives out there, they're paying almost two dollars higher, so they're in the high fives or into the six dollar range. I think there's some said they're paying $7 for a gallon of gas. Okay, so I think a big question for everybody, including, well, I think we kind of figured it out, but you know, is who is responsible for the price of gas? Is it the Biden administration and the president himself, or is it just the gas companies kind of taking it in? Because you, I think gas is going for like $104 a barrel, and but that's... Oil, that's crude oil that's not going to get refined for at least a couple of weeks, if not months. So how are they reflecting those prices? Because they call these things called futures and stuff well, like that. Oil trades on the open market. I know Congress, the senators like Chuck Schumer, especially Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders want to say the energy companies are manipulating the market. They're not manipulating. There's no, never been any proof of that. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of it has, some of it had to do with coronavirus because we were shut down. Demand was uh, real low. Supplies were up. Okay. Then when everybody started opening the economy, demand shot up. 
but supply didn't kept kept pace with demand. Uh-huh. So that started to move the needle of gas prices higher. Then you factor in this current crisis with the Ukraine. That definitely had an effect because now we're limiting Russian energy on the open market. The okay. other issue that was a major factor in the increase of energy that Joe Biden keeps blaming the war on Ukraine, blaming Vladimir Putin, blaming the coronavirus, is Joe Biden, the Democratic's policies toward fossil fuel. Okay. As soon as he became president, first official act he did, he canceled the Keystone XL pipeline. That was like the first one, right? Very first thing. Then what he also did is he canceled all leases and permits on public lands, federal, okay. federally owned land. Then there's the erroneous regulations coming from the, S, the um, EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. Then what he also did is he appointed people to the SEC, the Security Exchange Commission, and the Federal Reserve, one of them whose nomination has been put on hold by Mitch McConnell, the Senate Minority Leader Republican, is Sarah Raskin. Uh She's an extreme environmentalist who believes she wants to end fossil fuels. She would be one of the regulators of the banks. And what the Democrats want to do is, like Obama did to the gun companies, is stop them from getting any financial loans, any capital to expand their business. Uh So you throw in all that, and then, because Russian energy is only like about 7% of what we take in. Yeah. But when you limit American energy production, and then you factor in from some of these energy experts that if they get a permit, excuse me, if they get a lease and they find oil on that lease, then they have to get a permit. Well, President Biden put a moratorium on permits, no new permits. And if they get a lease and a permit and they can start drilling, well, then they've got, you need equipment. Equipment breaks down. You can't get the spare parts. You have labor shortages. You have to build a road to that spot to get the oil and the energy out. So all these factors play in. Mm -hmm. And then when he made the comment yesterday that we're operating, excuse me, we're pumping more energy than ever before. Well, that's wrong because the U.S. Energy Information Agency tracks all this. And energy production has dropped by a million barrels of oil from 2019 to to now. Uh So it's dropped definitely in 2001. So we're producing less energy than ever before. And his argument is we need to go through wind and solar. Now, if you take that argument, look at Europe. Europe utilizes wind and solar or alternative energy far more than the United States. But they have an energy shortage because you cannot get all your energy for um, mainly vehicles through wind and solar. It's just an impossible task. It's a fallacy that everybody assumes that the technology, it's not there. We are not there. I mean, as an example, I live, we live in Florida. My battery life for my truck has about a three-year life, lifespan, about three years. In California, I never had to replace my battery in, in three years. Because it had an eclectic climate. It wasn't too hot, not too cold. What would that do for an electric vehicle? That would suck the energy out fast. Same thing in the Northeast in a cold environment. I think the replacement battery, for whatever right reason, these factory batteries, they last like forever. But when they go, it, then you're like you're kind of like a but slave typ- to the battery. <laughs> but typically, it's a, it's a great. You're into, into auto mechanics. It's about what a three-year lifespan around there. Yeah, easily. Give or take three years. Mm-hmm. 
That's not the case in a moderate temperate zone like California. So by President Biden can say he's doing all this, that he's it's not his fault. But a lot of it with Russia, with the, the demand going up. Now, remember, we're at March. Mm-hmm. It's March 9th. We've seen the highest gas prices we've seen. I think it's recorded history. Yeah. We're at March. Where are we going to be in June when you got peak driving season? Well, I want to talk to you about that is because are the gas companies maybe going to adjust their just the, the gallon or just their pricing? Because if nobody moves, that means nobody's spending money on gas. And if nobody's spending money on gas, then that's just going to hurt the company anyway. Well, prices would go down. Okay. It's a... Energy is a supply and demand product, just like anything else. Mm-hmm. If demand shoots up and the supply isn't there, then prices skyrocket to reflect that. If what you said, like during the coronavirus, demand plummeted because people weren't driving. People mm-hmm. weren't using, we weren't using as much energy. Mm-hmm. So prices plummeted. Energy is no different than supply and demand type thing. And anytime politicians said we're going to investigate price gouging has anybody seen a report at any time to find price gouging there's nothing no energy or the fossil fuels is one of the most heavily regulated industries in the country and just to let the listeners know i'm not benefiting from fossil fuel i'm not we're not sponsored by exxon we're not sponsored by exxon or bp it's just People need to get out of this rhetoric that the fossil fuels have got a grip on us. It's just, if you look at the example, take California. Wait, hold on. Can we just take a second here? But if does if Exxon, Amoco, BP, or any gas company wants to sponsor the show, by all means, we will talk so great about you. Yeah, but, okay, but take California. California pushed its own version of a, its new green deal. Mm-hmm. But California pays the, one of the highest prices for energy. They could be energy independent just with the energy they have in California. Mm-hmm. But they're not. Now, they import about 40% of their energy from other states. They make it sound like climate change, their greenhouse gas has dropped. But if you factor in where they get their energy, they wouldn't. And they also import about 60% of their energy from Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. and other Gulf states. Why is this administration so bent on snubbing the number one electric car company in the U.S.? That Probably is, in the world. I don't think there's any other... There's no you, Okay, but you're talking about Elon Musk. Yeah. Right? Well, even Elon Musk said, what I'm going to propose goes against my, my company, but he said, you have to drill. You have to get fossil fuels well, going. Well, you're probably looking at a different angle. It's not going to... Okay, would it affect him? Yes, but not really, because if he has to somehow purchase the gas for those batteries that they're digging out, and those things are guzzling diesel like it's cool, that's going to affect him in the long run anyway. That lithium or the iron ore that they're pulling out of the ground, you know, is costing them this much a pound. And then all of a sudden, because of gas... You but know, he also understands this, that electric vehicles only count for 1%. Is the rise in gas prices, is only, is, it's not only affecting America, it's affecting worldwide. Well, it is affecting worldwide. Now, Europe is really affected by it. 
because they went into alternative fuels far faster than the United States. Suckers. And remember, Donald Trump said, we can provide you the energy. Our natural gas is 40% cleaner than Russia's natural gas. Mm -hmm. We can supply you all this. Liquefied natural gas would create jobs here, Mm -hmm. create jobs there. You wouldn't be held hostage to Russia, which they are now, because the German chancellor is not going to stop Russian energy because he knows he needs that to fuel his economy. He needs half of his energy comes from Russia. Is there a positive example other than the United States that shows how the green and electric and all the non-carbon footprint machinery is affecting and it's a good thing around the world? You mean alternative energy? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Alternative energy. (laughs) But alternative, it hasn't worked. In Europe, it hasn't worked. Australia tried it, hasn't worked. Could it? We're not at that point yet because wind and solar doesn't feed into your pump at the your your pump going to the gas station. So if you have, there was an article in New Geography, and I wish I could remember the title, but it was in New New Geography talking about electric vehicles. Most people park like, okay, Joe, I came to your house. Your wife parks your her car in the garage, right? Mm-hmm. You park your car outside. Yeah. Most people in America park their car on the street. Okay. How are they going to charge their car? And Mm -hmm. most electric vehicles, the average cost of an electric vehicle is $50,000. But Pete Buttigieg said everybody can get one. They give everybody a $7,000 tax credit. (laughs) Who can afford? I mean, think about it. That covers the tax on my electric car. Thanks a lot, Pete. (laughs) Put it this way. You and Ray, how many of you know of your friends can afford a $50,000 vehicle? That's primarily a second vehicle. As a young person who the salaries aren't there in, in a lot of the fields, yeah. most most of my age group is making $50,000. That's your whole salary in one year. Yeah, yeah. So, there, you know, unless you're taking out a 72 to 96-month loan, for an electric vehicle, nobody's buying an electric okay. vehicle. Okay, yeah, they're not. And then also on top of that, just the simple fact that that fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage thing is just not only is it getting absorbed by inflation and uh, taxes, but it's also going to you know an electric vehicle. I mean, there are a lot of things come with electric vehicles, like. I don't know, powering it up. And if you can't power that thing up at work, you're going to power it up at your apartment complex. Okay, that's one thing. Now, here's another thing. If we are paying, like I drove by the gas station, came here, it went from 449 down to 439. This is a question for Ray because I learned something from him last week. Okay. If you're paying 439 a gallon for gas, how much does diesel cost? Now, when I mean by diesel... 70% 70% of all goods and services that traverse the United States comes from diesel. And the reason I turned to Ray, I didn't know there's two types of diesel. Yes. There's, there's red diesel and green diesel. If you can explain that just so our listeners know. So I know this because I got friends who work out on farms and construction, and red diesel is a non-taxed from the government and it comes in drums or or something, and okay. it's it's a red colored diesel, and it's not meant for highway. 
So pretty much all your farm equipment, your construction, farm truck or something out on the on the field that's not being used on our government roads can be in the vehicle. Then you have something what's called the highway diesel, the green color diesel, and that is taxed by our government. Correct. And that is in my truck now, and I pay 50 cents probably more than you do for regular, so I'm up near $5 a gallon for diesel. Um, but if you're ever caught with red diesel out on the highway, they can go after however many, I believe I was told, it's however much is on your odometer they can find so you. So if for. I have... Wait, wait, hold on. Well, yeah, go ahead, John. So if I have my truck, let's see, I have about 197,000 miles. Yes. So how much would they would charge me then? About and that fine would be exactly your odometer. One hundred ninety-seven thousand yeah. dollars. Because you're not using a government wow. uh, taxed so the form I, of diesel. Okay. Well, I got one too. But the thing is, it's like, who is on the street looking at your truck and be like, "Hey, is that green diesel or is that red diesel?" Like well, you're uh, you're I paying would, some. You're like, who who regulates that? The cops, the well, IRS, I would, like I the would think agriculture, out, right? I would think out here in an urban setting, most people are using diesel. Are going to be it's going to be normal. They're not going to do that. But if you go into more of a country, you, a country rural area where you've got a fluctuation of both, they may have somebody out there checking to make sure you're not cheating. Okay, well, a, a while. Okay, when I guess back in like you know two thousand seven, two thousand eight, when we had like this crisis before, when it came to gas and it kind of going up, a lot of people were taking their diesel vehicles and kind of converting them to where it was burning oil like it was you know it was like you know you were able to refine the grease from a fryer put it in your truck or put it in your car how that. were they how would they have been regulating that like how, see, that i don't know you know like that, that i don't know like, but i do know this we had the same problem in 2008 the same problem in 2014 when gas or oil per barrel went above a hundred dollars mm-hmm. and the argument by the obama administration is when everybody said we need to drill more, and goes, well, those are long-term solutions to our short-term problems now. What's a short-term problem? Okay, no, <laughs> but short-term problem would be rising gas. Yeah. Everybody says, let's restate Keystone, let's drill, let's drill. And the press secretary for Joe Biden, Jen Psaki, said, well, that's a long-term solution to a short, that would not fix the problem now. But if they would have done this back in 2014, we wouldn't be in this situation today because when Trump was in office, as much as, like I said, separate the rhetoric from the policy. If you go by the policy, we were close to, if not energy independent. We weren't beholden because in an example, during his presidency, Iranian drones struck an oil refinery in the eastern part of Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. And everybody speculated, oh, we go. Oil is going to spike. Because anytime there's a, a crisis in the Middle East, oil skyrockets. Yeah. The reason it didn't is because we don't need Ameri- Saudi Arabian oil. Okay. We don't. We can produce our own energy. We are like the Saudi Arabia of natural gas. You remember... There was a Miss Universe competition a, a few years back, and Venezuela was like, hey, you know, if Miss Venezuela happens to win the Miss Universe contest, you're going to get some good gas prices. I think it was almost getting like 16 cents a gallon for gas. When we 
stop going with Russia, and we're looking at Saudi Arabia, we're looking at Venezuela. I think there's a third Iran, Iran in there somewhere. Is that going to re- maybe relieve some of the problem? Why are they so? Why are they so like adamant of even like you know sleeping with the enemy in order to not use our own stuff? See, that's the pro- that's the question the media should ask Joe Biden because right now. President Trump, I mean, excuse me, President Biden, because of the crisis in Ukraine with Russian invasion, mm-hmm. put a diplomatic embargo on Russia. Yeah. But he gave him a caveat. They're acting as a mediator in Geneva, Switzerland, for the to reintroduce and to restart the Iran nuclear deal. Okay. So if they get that going, then Iran, the, the speculation Iranian oil will come back on the market to alleviate the disruption from Russia. Now it's kind of ironic that you're you're critical of Russia, you're sanctioning Russia, except you want Russia to help is acting on our behalf to to get an agreement with Iran, who they're in cahoots with. Mm-hmm. Do you really think that's going to work? And the president sent a senior national security advisor to Venezuela, which we have sanctions on, to get their energy, but yet he won't utilize and implement and tell the Europeans we can sell you all the natural gas you want. Create jobs here, create it over there, and not be beholden because when they in two thousand think seventeen or eighteen when um, the oil prices cratered, that killed Vladimir Putin. It hurt the the Ayatollah in Iran and Venezuela. Because oil prices went down I mean gas per barrel went down to what they were in the 20s. You didn't see Vladimir Putin move. That's what funds his military. 45% of his budget comes from the energy sector. So hear, hear me out. And this is going to be an analogy, but here's John, and John's a Mormon, and John doesn't drink tea or coffee or alcohol, alcohol, or he doesn't do anything with like tobacco or whatnot like that, and that's a big faux pas, and that's a real don't big... Don't give me that look. That's a real big... You don't no, drink coffee? No, no coffee. <laughs> God bless you. You should have seen the eyes he was giving me when I, I had like a tumbler here, and I was slowly filling it up with like Cuban rum, and he's just like looking at me. I'm like, is he okay? <laughs> but... No, but imagine, but and imagine like I have this information. I have this. I have these pictures. I have John videos of John having a good time, drunk, drinking coffee while smoking a cigar at the same time. But if anybody else found out, it would mean you get kicked out of your church. You would get kicked out of your region. Any support or any effort that they have, it would just cut it off. And that was almost like your lifeline. That was like, you know, that was you. And I'm saying, well, John, you know what? No one's going to see this if you, I don't know, never use our, if you never, well, uh, if you never use, uh, no, if, if we're ever energy dependent again. And he is just maybe has something on him. Maybe you're talking even, Putin or President Xi of China have something on Joe No, no, Biden. no. I'm thinking people in the own, in our own country, like in the Senate and the Congress and stuff like that, there, have something on him and saying, look, if you don't listen to what we say, if you don't make us, you know, if you don't go green, if you don't stop all this, we're going to just let it out. That's something I can't address because I don't have proof of all that. But you said he made a deal with the progressives prior well, to that's, that coming be, in. That's just, that's just speculation on my part. That's from Victor Davis Hanson, historian, had said that, that he made a fast June deal about that. So I don't know. But there is... 
if I could pivot for a second, we have someone from, I think, Mercy 767676 asked a question. Can I ask, we should go to war instead of sitting back watching this horrid torture? So, I mean, I'm not sure. And talking about Ukraine. Ukraine. I'm not so going to war, but what they should have done prior to the invasion of Ukraine by, by Russia is arm the Ukrainians. Now, Charles Krauthammer, who was a, a, a columnist or analyst or syndicated columnist, he was on Fox News a lot. He passed away, I think, about two years ago. Back in 2014, he suggested that we arm the Ukrainian. We send them all the javelins. We send them all the Stinger missiles, the Harpoon anti-ship missiles with trainers. Okay, now we're at this situation right now. Even Zelensky, the president of uh, Ukraine, stated that the United States slow walked a lot of the weapon systems that we need. He wanted Biden wanted to have diplomacy, the soft power, without the hard power. What I suggested is give them the weapons they need. Mm-hmm. Send as many Russian bodies back and tell Putin our job is to kill as many Russians as possible. Well, maybe also another explanation is that we can't just kind of, even though we want to, Go into that country and help them out. We can't because we're kind of bound by NATO. Because sure. well, we can do what we, we can go in and we'd be we'd be by ourselves. Yeah. But the other point is, and I've said this before, with Joe Biden, he reacts to events instead of being proactive. Mm-hmm. You want to keep all options on the table. You like if we arm the Ukraine in a massive way, almost do what. The, the Nixon administration didn't do the Yom Kippur War where they did a massive arms shipment to Israel that helped prevent the Israeli defeat to the Arabs. And we can supply the Israelis far faster than the Russians can supply the, the Arabs. But you never want to get an option off the table. And by not doing that, you prevented these weapons from getting in. Now your decisions are going to be tougher and tougher to do. Well, and Mercy says he's also from UK, and he says that they're soft. But is it just is there? Are we all just bound? Like we're like not yet. What is going to be the tipping point that's going to happen to Ukraine, where we're just like that's it. We're, we're we got well, go we got to do something here. Go into our listeners. I served with a bunch of British uh, British Royal Marines in Afghanistan, the British Army. In, mm-hmm. Another time, another tour in Afghanistan. I really don't but, think he means the military. I think he no, just means the administration. The reason I bring that up, the British government really does, I would say, don't trust the Biden administration. Look what they did in Afghanistan. We abandoned our allies. We never told the British we were, we were pulling out, but we didn't tell them we were pulling out now at the, that time we did it. And we just left them hanging. So we did some things, and even the Obama administration chastised Britain. Britain has been our closest allies for many years. Going back to, I think, this, we started to be close right at the turn of the 20th century. So we had a Trina Rogers 3. She asked, uh, why are the Syrians going off on live stream cameras? Like, I guess maybe they're ranting. Is there something going on with, like, Syria? Well, the reports that I saw earlier um, last night and early this morning is Russia is asking some of the Syrians that they helped for, to, save, or to build up the, the government of Assad to come to Ukraine to help assist the Russians. 
That's the, that's what I have so far. I haven't have that been verified. But he's, but remember, he used Chechen terror group to come in and try to assassinate Zelensky, and those two groups were taken out. Now, the all the information we're getting from Ukraine about, like, I think they had like 13,000 Russians killed. There's a lot of POWs. We've been seeing uh, videos here and there. They said they took out a nur- or like a, a nursery or a maternity. Yeah, that was the that was sometime today. So they're still trying to get the after effects of that. What is a lot of this that what can we believe and what can't we? Because we've known for the past couple of years that the news is kind of skewing a lot of things to kind of, you pro- know, they're, they're they're playing the drama. They're of- playing the but see the problem is that what I've said before, the Biden administration reacts to events. And what's going to happen is whether we get in or not, that's a that's an open debate we should be debating. But if we're going to allow the CNN factor, and I'm not talking the politics of CNN, when the media shows all these casualties, are we going to be forced to get in or not? How are we going to react when we see thousands upon thousands of civilians, women and children being killed? So Mercy also said Afghanistan was a was a sharp withdrawal, but it had to, but to be honest, it was time. Now It was time, but they could have, if they just take a little bit more time to kind of figure or to kind of set it up and actually listen to the people about well, withdrawing and not doing what President wanted to but do. But even the generals sent a request up when President Biden, the first week or two of August of 2021, said we are withdrawing by August 29th. They never even had a plan how that withdrawal would look. Now, uh-huh. Admiral Kirby, who's the defense secretary, defense press spokesman, said we war gamed having to go back in to get Americans out. Yeah. So the question is going back to what uh, Mercy seventy six seventy six seventy six mentioned. Is I think we can abbreviate that next time. Yeah. But when it came to Great Britain and our NATO allies, we knew we were withdrawing, but we just left uh-huh. and we left them hanging. So there was anger there that like they left their citizens behind because they didn't have the military capabilities to sustain their 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 country's troops there. Yeah. So that's throwing our allies under the bus, especially Great Britain, especially Australia, two of our closest allies who've always been with us. Yeah. So a lot a little bit I heard, you know, we'll probably end with this, but there, a lot of calls were kind of going out to other countries with that are providing oil or, or high oil countries, and they're saying that you know the president or the administration's calling them, but they're just not answering. Well, there was one report I heard, and this is on Jesse Waters. I don't know how factual this. It's just his report. I'll just put it out that way. He said the president called Saudi Arabia. They didn't answer the call. So is there? Maybe, I don't know how true that is. If it was, is there something there where it's like? Is the reaction to Afghanistan and how he's kind of like handling the situation, is that have any kind well, of... Well, a lot of it has to do how he, Afghanistan, but it also how President Biden handled his relations with Saudi Arabia, especially accusing the Saudi leader of killing that Washington Post reporter, I think his name is Khashoggi, if I pronounce his name right, when mm-hmm. he was killed in Turkey. So a lot of it blowback from that way is, and then it's the whole Iran nuclear deal. They feel their greatest threat is Iran, and the president's taking it um, is giving Iran everything, including to potentially have a nuclear weapon. I do have a question, and my question for the up 
and debate about the whole Ukraine, Russia, and whether we should go in or not. My question would be to this, and this is very open. Are you confident as the president, Joe Biden, would you be confident going in, if we had to, to Ukraine and take on Russian forces as our president, Joe Biden, at the helm, leading? And are you confident with our military generals making the decisions after watching a failure in Afghanistan? Yes. No. I would. I would. No. The reason I say Go ahead. Yeah. the reason I would say no is going by recent history of Joe Biden's foreign policy decisions. He voted against the first Gulf War, voted for the war in Iraq. Even eight months later, he said he was the best decision he's made. And as soon as it went south, he turned on him and voted against the surge, supported the war in Ara- Afghanistan. Then when it didn't go right, he turned away from it. So I don't have the confidence that... If we do get in, if something, because war is like Winston Churchill said it back, probably the best. And I'm only going to paraphrase this because I don't have the exact quote. He basically said, when you start a war, it'll get away from you. It, it always does. It always changes. And if you don't, if you never know what direction it's going to go. So I feel if we get in, I don't have the confidence that Joe Biden's going to stick it through. And he's going to th- let our military hang in the hang in the back. I just don't feel he's going to have the confidence to see it through. Well, I, despite of what I think people think of the administration and how they're handling it and stuff like that, I honestly think that when it comes down to the ground level, the grunt level, that we can provide and we can do a great job into whether it's aiding support or whether it's defending U- Ukraine, regardless of what that you know what uh, Papa Papa Joe is doing up here. But, but, and I think and I think. You know, if I were to kind of kind of look at it, the first people they would send in are, I don't know, Marines, you know, and, no, Marine, no. and Marines are a different kind of like an animal about organizing and, you know, getting shit done. No, but on this case, because it's Ukraine and it's where it's located, this would be an army centric, army heavy conflict. Because mm-hmm. the army pr- primarily is in Europe, this is a primarily an army function. Yeah, I don't want to. There may be a little bit of marine, but right now it would be army centric. The reason I bring this up is if we did get into Ukraine, what's our goals? What's our strategy? What are we trying to accomplish? And what is the what is our final strategy? What is the end game? When we got into Iraq and Afghanistan, we got. I remember when we when we went into Iraq, I was pl- helped with the planning at. The MEF, which is the Marine Expeditionary Force, the highest level the Marine Corps fights at, everybody was talking, we're going to get in, kick butt, and leave. Nobody said, what happens next? Mm -hmm. You take out a government, then what? But last point, because I know we got to probably wrap this up. I just want to go with our our listener or our call in, Mercy 76-76-76. And I would agree with her. Trump and the Prime Minister of Great Britain did have a much closer relationship than President Biden has. Yeah. And I think it's it's not the rhetoric. People need to separate the rhetoric from the policy. I think the policy of the U.S. toward Great Britain was much better, much smoother. And just for our listeners' sake, I served with a bunch of the uh, Royal Marines, and they were some phenomenal troops. Your mm-hmm. country should be proud 
of what your soldiers did in Iraq and Afghanistan. So I did want to kind of maybe not end with it, but also just kind of throw it out there is that, you know, a long time ago we threw our support behind a country that was going up against Russia, and it really didn't end up well for us, and that was when Russia and Afghanistan were going at it, and we're just like, you know, well, let's go with Afghanistan, and then it kind of bit us in the ass. So I would think that we might want to kind of tread lightly about this situation too, because, you know, whether you want to, you know, think that Ukraine's the underdog, maybe they're really holding their own, which means they're a force to be reckoned with if they're going up since, I would say, the second <laughs> second highest power in the in the world. There was so, the re- but the reason it didn't, it, when you say Russia and Afghanistan, as soon as the Russians pulled out in, in 1989, we didn't talk about Afghanistan anymore. Yeah. And then when, because we focused on Iraq with the Gulf War, but then when President Clinton came in, Warren Christopher, who was his first Secretary of State, for the first four years, never mentioned Afghanistan one time. Mm -hmm. That's our problem. We get in, when everything, we feel like we're done, we leave, and we abandon the country. So we have to look at all aspects. We have to look at the culture, the historical. What is our strategic aims in Ukraine? And I haven't heard anybody articulate. What are we trying to accomplish? Yeah. Is it a, to establish a, a democratic country? We're going to support Zelensky as he, as, he, as he forms that nucleus of democracy. What is it? Mm-hmm. But I'm not in favor under this administration because I've seen it too, too many times. And history is ripe with too many times. We get in. Everything is popular. Something always goes wrong. Even in World War II. Pearl Harbor, everybody was back in the American military. But we had some serious setbacks. But it was different era, different time. Yeah. But we were fixated in our goal. The goal in the early part of World War II was Europe first, Pacific second. Mm-hmm. And we stuck to that. I just don't see us doing this now. All right, John. So why don't you go ahead and tell them where they can get a hold of us. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank our commentators on our uh, the TikTok. Also, you can go to us and find us on Ubaldi Reports. Excuse me. Go to UbaldiReports at gmail.com. That's UbaldiReports at gmail.com. But you can follow us on TikTok, Facebook, um, Instagram, and Twitter at Ubaldi Reports. And we're at Ubaldi Reports Group. Did you know that Twitter has like an audio feed going on now? So we can can probably get on that. It's actually live. So they can't see our faces, but they can actually hear and tune into us so i think we're going to be exploring that here soon once we get this live stream down then we're going to go move over there so we will talk to you guys later next time ray might say a little bit more and we will talk to you guys then all right take it easy and keep following by the report